Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Good morning, church. It is good to be with you on this wonderful Lord's Day. Indeed, it is the Lord's Day, and we want to magnify the Lord in everything we do. I'm thankful for all of your prayers. Um, As you know, I've had some stomach issues, and I'm currently taking medicine for that. And as it would be that I cannot drink pain medicine while I'm on this medicine, and now I've got severe inflammation in my foot. So if you see me limping, uh, it's because there's some severe pain in my foot. But the Lord is working with me, and He's teaching me that every moment we live in this life is a moment of grace. It's a moment of grace. We, do, we don't deserve anything. And so even the, the smallest bit of relief is, is a gift from God. And so we're thankful that we can now come to hear from Him as we study His Word and find the strength that we need for the week. And I want to thank our brother Dumi, who brought us the Word last Sunday. As you remember, Dumi, uh, one of our members in our church, he was able to teach us from Matthew 5 and what it means to be a kingdom citizen, you know, how to live in the kingdom of God uh, from Matthew 5. And that was such a great reminder to us all of um, what God has done and how we are supposed to be living in accordance to that truth. But today I want to invite you back to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians. As you know, we're studying this amazing letter about the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. We're studying this letter to really understand the gospel of free grace. And we want to make sure that we are not perverting that gospel in any way. Because we continue to live in a day and age where people are trying to relate to God, but they're trying to do it based on their own efforts their own works, their own performance, to feel accepted by Him. We even live in a day and age where people argue that there are so many ways to get to heaven. Where each one can follow his own ideas, religion, and set of beliefs. Where even the traditions of what we grow up with become more authoritative than the Word of God. But we've seen thus far that Paul is defending this exclusive message of grace with everything he has in this letter to the Galatians. And you remember the context of what we've seen so far in chapter 1. That the churches he planted in Galatia are in the process of turning them back on this grace that they initially embraced. Because there's these false teachers, these troublemakers, that we've known now as the Judaizers who are perverting the gospel of Jesus. By essentially saying that his work on the cross is not enough. You need to follow all these rules and rituals and ceremonies and come under the law of Moses again to be really accepted by God. And these false teachers, they are making accusations against Paul. They're denying his gospel of grace. They are denying the liberty of freedom that true Christians have. 
And so their approach is to do what? It's to discredit Paul in his message. And Paul's responding to all of this. He's responding and he's defending his apostleship and his right to speak as a messenger of God. Because if Paul is not really an apostle, then he doesn't have the right to say what the gospel is. And so we've been looking at his defense and essentially what Paul does, he is saying, I am my best argument. I am my best argument. Because after explaining his gospel didn't come from any man, but rather like his commissioning, it came directly from God. He launches into his own personal testimony and he's drawing our attention to the way he was converted by Jesus Christ. And last time we looked at his life before he was a Christian. You could say it was a life of organized, planned destruction. Organized, intentional violence against the church of God. And against this very message of free grace. It's a life that was marked by brutal, murderous violence and persecution. And I think we all agree that it's pretty radical. And basically what Paul is saying is, with all the authority and power I had as one of the top Jewish scholars of my day, I pointed all that against the church of God. Saul, as he was known before his conversion, was a determined man. He was even filled with hatred for the liberating truth of Jesus Christ. I mean, even some of the other passages of the New Testament, he basically calls himself a terrorist. This was a man that was in desperate need of the grace of God. Because he's trying to relate to God with his own zealous performance. And he was so proud about it at the time. And we know one of the things about pride is it does what? It makes you blind, doesn't it? Because all you're doing is you're putting your confidence in yourself, and which makes it impossible for, for soul, for, for you, or for anyone else to come to Christ on their own. Because pride builds itself a tower. It seeks to reach heaven by itself, like in Genesis. And left to ourselves, people try to do the very same thing today. Trying to climb their way into heaven by their own efforts. But here's the good news. The good news is that God is sovereign in every step of the salvation process. God is sovereign in every step of the salvation process. Because Paul wants to make it clear that like his apostleship and his message, his radical conversion to Christianity can only be from God himself. He is showing us today that his conversion experience is from God and God alone. Smothered in the grace of God from start to finish. And that is true of every believer that is here today. God is the one who saves and He can save anyone. He can even save someone like Paul. And today we're going to look at what actually happened when Paul was converted. How is it possible that someone can go from marching towards the destruction of this message of grace to becoming its proclaimer and defender? And to do that, I want us to see four ways God acts in salvation. From Galatians chapter 1 verses 15 to 16. Because God is the main character of salvation. And the only explanation for why the most unlikely character of this self-enslavement 
could turn around to be the advocate of true freedom. So we're going to look at four characteristics about Christian conversion. Conversion. That's our word for today. Conversion. Four characteristics about what God does to bring someone to this dramatic change in their life. And to help us just to get the the context again, let us turn to Galatians chapter 1 and we'll read from verse 11 to 24. Galatians 1 from 11 to 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among many people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I didn't immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Paul's testimony is a powerful testimony that really gives us hope. Why? Because if God can save someone like Paul, then He can save anyone. He can save anyone, no matter what your history or background is or was. And so, let us dive into this this conversion experience of Paul and see what we can learn from that today. And the first characteristic of true Christian conversion that I want us to notice is that God sets us apart. God sets us apart. He says in verse 15, But when He who had set me apart before I was born. Now if you read the testimony of Paul, you see in his pre-conversion story, he refers a lot to things like, I was like this and I did that. And then we have this big transition with the word but. But when He... But when God, God now becomes the primary character in this section. Where He displays His his sovereignty, His plan and His pleasure in the salvation process. And the first thing that Paul mentions that God does in this dramatic conversion is that God had set Paul apart before he was even born. Paul is referring to the fact that God chose Paul to become a Christian even before he came into this world. And so what is Paul doing here? He's putting God's sovereignty of election and his choosing and his providence, his control on display to the Galatians again. And I love the language that Paul uses here because of the context. He says that God had set him apart. And it's beautiful because of the contrast. Because think about it. What is a Pharisee? 
What is a Pharisee? A Pharisee was also known as someone that is separated. A separated one. Because they are separate because of their knowledge and their, their precision of keeping the law. So they don't like to be with the other people. They separate themselves from the other people. But now Paul says, God set him apart. God set him apart. God chose him. Which is this amazing contrast. But when did God do this? He says, before he was even born. I like how other translations put it. They say, but when he had set me apart, even from my mother's womb. You see, as soon as there was a soul of Tarsus in the womb of his mother, he was separated for a purpose. Before Paul was even given the ability to see Jesus for who he really is, God already chose when and how he would save Paul. Saving him from his Jewish background and the enslavement of works righteousness and from this life of passionate pride. And the setting apart should bring to mind how God did the same with others like the prophet Jeremiah, right? In the Old Testament. Jeremiah 1 verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You see, in the same way that God had set Jeremiah apart for being his mouthpiece, God did the same with Paul and his apostleship. God didn't think, ah, come on, here's this guy who's traveling the church. I don't know what I'm going to do with him. He was chosen by God before he even took his first breath in this dark and sin-cursed world. And Paul's Jewish audience would know immediately that by referring to himself as being set apart in his mother's womb, he was comparing himself to becoming an apostle. And the same with the prophet Jeremiah and even Isaiah was set apart. Isaiah, the same thing. Isaiah 49.1 Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named by name. So Paul's not trying to say, hey, I'm on the same level as these great prophets that came before us. He's just trying to say that God is the one who chose him. Making it clear that there's no way that he chose God. Paul did not choose God. And many times this is how people talk about Christianity. They simply decided that from now on they are going to follow God. But the truth from Scripture is we don't choose to find grace. Grace finds us. Grace finds us. That's what makes Christianity different from all the other kinds of religions that we have around us. See, the one true gospel is not a man-made, self-deciding gospel. God is the one who chooses believers before they were even born. Paul is looking back at his former life with his testimony here in verses 13 to 14. But now in verse 15, he's looking back even further into when he was in his mother's womb. And perhaps this is like a moment of praise like the psalmist. And you know Psalm 139 when we looked at that uh, many months ago. For you were formed in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Because yes, we are not apostles. And we are not like the prophet Jeremiah or Isaiah, but all true believers are set apart by God to become the children of God. Because what does Paul say in Ephesians 1 verses 4 to 5? 
Ephesians 1 verses 4 to 5. This is one of those verses you want to cement in your heart. He says, bless God and praise God. Why? Because He chose us in Him. When? Before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. That is justification language right there. In love He predestined us. He chose us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of His will. To the praise of His glorious grace. With which He has blessed us in the Beloved. See God's love and grace has been set on believers even further back than the womb of your mother. It was before the foundations of the world. Paul is making it clear that we cannot receive this grace on our own. God has planned to save sinners from their very lives of destruction and rebellion way before they even came into existence. And this is what Paul told Timothy as well, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, that God had saved His people according to His own eternal purpose, having lavished on them grace in Christ before the ages began. Paul also explains that the plan for saving the Gentiles was accomplished in accordance with God's eternal purpose. Ephesians 3 verse 11. A mystery that God decreed before the ages. You see, but sometimes you... You might look back at your life and you slow down and you reflect about all the things that you've experienced now that you're a Christian. And you might be thinking, man, that former life of mine, what a waste. What a wasted life. But you know what the reality is? God has been there all this time. God has been there all this time. God has planned your entire life from the very start. We see that Paul's life before he became a Christian, even though it was as violent and as wicked as it was, it wasn't a waste. Why? Because Paul had more insight about the Jewish religion than most people, right? And God knows exactly what he's doing. And he providentially uses all those experiences that Paul had before he became a Christian to magnify his testimony. To magnify the grace of God. And to use all of that to make Him even more effective in the true kingdom work. To reach the nations. Even if I think about this in my own life. When I became a Christian, I had a friend of mine. We were living together. He came into my room. First time. He opened up the Bible. He's reading to me scripture. And I'm saying to him, that is wonderful. Thank you very much. A month later, that same friend walks into my room, sits me down, opens the Bible again. He reads to me scripture and I tell him, thank you very much. I mean, we're good friends. Third time he walks into my room, another month later, he opens up the scriptures and he reveals Jesus to me. God, the Holy Spirit, reveals Jesus to me in that moment and I became a Christian. I think of the same with my wife. She's going to go study to become a lawyer. And not for the, the, the reasons you know, she does now. She wanted to be successful. Wanted to climb the corporate ladder. But when she became a Christian, the Lord changed all that. She was a family law expert. And now she's able to use those gifts for the kingdom. God uses our past so we can be more effective in the future. And so perhaps as we look back at our former lives through the gospel of grace, we start to see how God was putting together the puzzle. 
We see how he used the former things in our lives to, to get us to the place where we would hear the truth of this life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the more you think about it, you realize that it can only be God who did this. Because it doesn't make sense that I would understand this grace on my own, because by ourselves we don't. People want to either deny that God is there, or they try and find Him on their own merits. But it's only when the grace of God finds us that we come to understand His eternal plan and His sovereign grace. Because what does Paul say happened next in his conversion? Paul says the second characteristic of true Christian conversion is that God calls us by His grace. And who called me by His grace. The second half of verse 15. First, He sets you apart. Second, He calls you by His grace. Paul is saying to the Galatians that the same way God called them, when He was preaching to them initially in Galatia, to live in this free grace, like we saw back in chapter 1 verse 6, in that same way He was called by the very same grace, And the Galatians should not turn their back on this grace because God has been sovereign in giving them this grace. Because this is what happens. You know, God sets the Christian apart before the foundations of the world. And then at the right time, He calls them away from their former way of living. And He calls calls them to Himself by His undeserved kindness. But what exactly is this call? Have you ever thought about that? What exactly is this call? Because theologically we talk about the effectual call of God. The effectual call of God. And that is when there's this internal sense of the call of God which is given to those who He has chosen before for salvation. And this call requires a response. One that leads to repentance and faith in Jesus for complete salvation. You see, when you look at what the Bible says about the process of salvation, first you have the external call. The external call. That is when someone preaches or shares the gospel message. Some way the truth is being revealed to you. And you hear that and you need to turn to Jesus for salvation. But you might have heard that message many times before, but your life never changed. You never saw your need for grace. Perhaps like Paul, you were trying to be right with God with your own efforts. In your own obedience, trying to do what is right on your own. But it is when God calls you by His grace, this internal, effectual call, that those chosen by God, those set apart by God, respond to this call with faith in Jesus. You see, Paul had the general call prior to the Damascus Road. He was exposed to the news about Jesus as the Messiah, but he was resisting it. In fact, it made him oppose this message of grace even more. But now he's saying this calling by grace, this is the effectual call. This is a specific and converting call. A call that soul did not deserve. And it's a call that we do not deserve. I mean, I think of a, the way we call and the way God calls. I mean, when, when we call, like if I call my children to come down from upstairs and they might respond, yeah, okay, I'm coming. Ten minutes later, they're still stuck upstairs. They haven't come down. And so I can call them. That's one thing. But to get them moving is another thing. I might actually have to go up there and turn off the TV to get them to come down. 
You see, God's call is different because it leads to action immediately. When God says, let there be light, there's light. Jesus says to the storm, be still, and nature listens. Jesus didn't say, I invite you storm, if you would like, maybe calm down. Or when he says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. He doesn't walk into the tomb and try to do CPR on Lazarus. When God speaks, things happen. And the same is true when He calls you by this grace. Things happen. And if you think of your own life and your own conversion, you might remember a specific moment, maybe a sermon or a discussion, some evangelistic outreach, where you were called by the grace of God, hearing the Word of God. Paul actually talks about it often in the New Testament, like in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Or when he spoke to the church in Thessalonica, in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, he says, But we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. This, to this He called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was called on the Damascus road. And not only has all of this been showing us how gracious God is, but what Paul says next is pretty amazing. Because so far he's saying God chooses people according to his eternal plan. And then at the right time he effectually calls them by his grace. But now look at this thirdly. The third characteristic of Christian conversion is that God is pleased to reveal his son to us. Number three, God finds pleasure in revealing himself to sinners. He says, verse 16a, He was pleased to reveal His Son to me. So first, sets us apart, calls us by grace second, and thirdly now, is pleased to reveal Jesus to us. And I want you to see the significance of this. Here is this man's soul. He's marching along to Damascus, seeking his own plan and his own pleasure to see Christians persecuted for their faith in Jesus. But then he is met with this greater pleasure. The pleasure of God. And it totally changes his life. And this is remarkable because think about it. Saul was against Jesus himself. And how does God respond to that? Punishment? Prison? No. He says rather God finds pleasure in choosing and calling and then revealing himself to them. Knowing that they are totally against him. And it's clear this has nothing to do with us, is it? It's all about God's will, His plan, and His good pleasure. Same thing we see in Samuel. Same message Samuel had to the people of Israel. 1 Samuel 12, verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake His people. For His great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. God chose the Jews because of His own pleasure. First Chronicles 28 verses 4 to 5. David says the same thing. He knows that God chose him to be the anointed king of Israel because God's own plan and pleasure. He says, Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house 
to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader, and in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. So are you hearing this, church? Are you hearing this? God finds pleasure in saving sinners. God finds pleasure in saving sinners. That included you. But more specifically, Paul says, God was pleased to reveal Jesus, His Son, to Paul. And how did God reveal Jesus to Paul? Well, again, let's just quickly look at the book of Acts and the scene where this all goes down. You can see this in Acts 9, um, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, meaning Christianity, following Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on this way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. And here, look at verse 7. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing this voice, but seeing no one. So here's Paul, walking along with these letters in order to stop anyone who's following Jesus. And he, takes them, he wants to take them captive and bound them to Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden there's this light shining from heaven around him. And I like how the other translations say there's this flashing light around him. But notice again verse 7. The men who were with Saul at the time, they heard the voice, but they could not see Jesus. They heard something, but they couldn't see And God took pleasure in that moment to reveal Jesus to the one whom he had set apart from his mother's womb. You see, and the others who are right next to him, so close to all the action, they couldn't see Jesus like Saul was seeing Jesus. You see, in this supernatural way, Saul was called by the grace of God. And he saw Jesus like he has never seen him before. Because God decided to open the eyes of Saul's heart. This is the moment where All the theology that he knew about Jesus was no longer a mystery, but true revelation. This is the moment where Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and reigning, was made known to Paul. And in a sense, the same still happens today. Because there's this moment in every Christian's life when you're doing what you're pleasing, and then you're met with the pleasure of God. Might not be the exact same moment like Paul had on the road to Damascus, but maybe it's like 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 that says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, through the work of the Helper, the Holy Spirit, God makes this truth and reality of Jesus Christ known to our dark and evil hearts. We are blind until God opens our eyes. And so do you recognize that God is not revealing any ritual? He's not revealing any steps or laws or traditions. 
He's revealing the person of His Son to the soul of a person. Isn't that why we teach our kids the Bible and ask them to memorize Scripture? They can memorize Scripture, but it's only when God opens their eyes to the true Jesus that all that they've memorized becomes life-transforming. And the thing is, we can speak of Him, we can come to church, we can sing about Him, read about Him, but unless God reveals His Son to you, it's all going to be religion and not relationship. And so Paul is trying to say to the Galatians, I did not volunteer to serve as an apostle. I didn't volunteer to change over to preach about this message of free grace. I was set apart. I was called by grace. And God's pleasure with my, met with my pleasure and it won. It won. And it showed me Jesus for who He really is and it changed my life. And that's the only explanation for why and who I am right now. It can only be God. And so here's the beautiful reality that follows, that God doesn't only save Paul because he finds pleasure in it. He saved Paul because he had always planned that through this man, he would preach Jesus to the nations, which is characteristic number four. God gives us a new purpose. When God saves you, he gives you a new purpose in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God sets us apart calls us by His grace, takes pleasure in revealing His Son to us, opening our eyes to this grace, and then He gives us a new purpose, a new mission, to make Him known to the world around us. See, God didn't just save Paul so, just so that Paul can be saved. He saved him for a purpose. That's the in order that statement that we have in this verse. This, his conversion came with a commission. As we said before, like Jeremiah was the prophet to the nations, Paul was going to be the apostle to the nations. In fact, the Greek word here translated Gentiles as ethne, which means nations. Nations. It shows us that God has always had the plan to call to Himself sinners like you and me. Because we are the Gentiles. And all throughout history, He used men like Abraham, like David, like the prophets, and now like Paul, to bring this blessing, this good news to the nations. I like how one commentator says it. He says, God does not call any person to salvation whom He does not also call to His service. The Bible teaches us that every believer has been prepared for good works. Ephesians 2 verse 10. Last Sunday we saw that we are to change and be the change in this world. By letting our light shine so that people may glorify God. In the same way, when speaking with believers, the Apostle Peter said, You are a chosen race, a royal priest, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We looked at this verse last Sunday as well. But then he also gives the purpose statement. Purpose statement. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who, was called, who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That is true of every believer here. And one of the best ways to let your light shine is to live as someone that has been radically changed by the grace of God. Later in his life, Paul talks about this new mission to the church in Ephesus as well. He says, Ephesians 3.8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, 
This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. God is very patient with us. I hope you can see all of that. He's very patient with us. He has a perfect plan for every true believer's salvation. And He uses people and their testimonies to impact other people. He uses people like you and me to make His unsearchable riches known to the world. To bring them to a place where they could answer this gracious call. And so believer, if you're living your life without purpose, then recognize you have great purpose. To live for the glory of God, to make Him known among the nations, no matter what your background was, because God can use all of it, all of it to show others the powerful grace of Christ. Think about what Paul says to Timothy when he talks about his testimony and his conversion and his purpose. And look at Paul's attitude here. He says, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12 to 16. 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 16. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners from whom I am the foremost, Paul says. Next verse, you get the purpose. He says, verse 16, But I receive mercy for this reason. For what reason, Paul? That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. God is patient. He is ready to reveal His Son to you. Are you listening? God set Paul apart to be a testimony, to be an example, to be a light. He doesn't cover up his background. And he does the same with every believer in this room. And if you look at everything Paul did, you can say, this guy had a difficult life. After he became a Christian, his life was very difficult. I mean, the fact that he's writing this letter and has to defend himself so much shows us how difficult his ministry was. But it had purpose. And so here's a good question to ask ourselves. Would I rather have a difficult life with purpose or an easy life that is meaningless? A difficult life with purpose or an easy life that is meaningless? See, Paul responded to the call of God with immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. Because that's what real faith in Jesus Christ does. To go and proclaim Jesus to the world. And what was at the center of his preaching? His evangelism. His life. He says, in order that I might preach him. Him. No laws. No circumcision. No tradition. It was Christ and all of his powerful grace. By faith alone. In Christ alone. So church, we serve a sovereign God. 
We serve a sovereign God who sets people apart before the foundations of the earth. Who calls people by His grace. Who takes pleasure in revealing His Son to us. Even though we are so violently opposed to Him in our hearts. And who calls us to a life of purpose. To make Him known to the ends of the earth. And so I think there's a few things we can take away from these four characteristics of true Christian conversion. Let me at least mention five. I think there's probably more than ten, but I'll try and mention just five. Firstly, and we've said this already, but God can save anyone. God can save anyone. You know that person that you think can never become a Christian because they're so stubborn, so evil, so dead set on resisting Jesus. Well, that person is potentially one moment away from having Christ revealed to them. Because if Paul can save anyone like Paul, no one is excluded. God can show up out of nowhere like He did with Paul. Maybe not in that exact same way, but out of nowhere the truth can be proclaimed and revealed and it can transform someone's life. No matter how opposed they are to Jesus. This must give us so much hope. This must give us so much hope as we seek to think of that family member, that old school friend, that boss at work. And the reality is, He uses people like you and me to live transformed lives to be the light. And so the second thing this makes clear is that God is the one who does the converting, right? It is only God. God is the one that does the converting. No amount of obedience, no amount of rule keeping, no amount of good works can make you right with God. Paul tried it and it didn't work. In fact, it only made things worse. Rather, God transforms those who recognize they can't do it on their own. Because it's His grace that finds us. Because true conversion is all grace from start to finish. Thirdly, God can use our past to help make Him known in the future. God can use our past to make Him known, help make Him known in the future. God is patiently at work in our lives, even to use those sins from our former lives, to magnify His grace in our conversion. We can sometimes feel ashamed of the former way of living. But God can use that when we understand how much forgiven we are in Christ. Then like Paul, we don't have to feel ashamed about talking about our past because it brings an opportunity to, to magnify the grace of God. Where people stand amazed at how your life is different because of Jesus. When it seemed like you were this champion of the world and now you become a champion for Jesus. And we don't share these testimonies to draw attention to ourselves. We share these testimonies to draw attention to Jesus. And fourthly, and I love this one because God enjoys converting sinners. God enjoys converting sinners. Do we realize that when God was exercising His sovereign grace and power in your salvation, He wasn't doing it because He had to. He did it because He wanted to. I just love that. that the God we serve is the God that desires that all people should be saved. First Timothy 2, remember? 
We talked about this early in the year and how we should be praying for people's salvation because He finds great joy and pleasure to choose them and set them apart, to call them by His grace. And in faith, He reveals His Son to them. And then finally, number five. If you want to make it to heaven, you must be converted. You must be converted. Jesus said we need to become like little children. We should not become like religious Pharisees if we want to enter the kingdom of God. And the reality is everyone needs the gospel. We may have never persecuted anyone, kidnapped anyone, or stood there where someone's being stoned to death like Paul. But we are all still sinners who need the gospel. We are evil by nature, and so we need the gospel of grace to make us who we are, to take us from where we are to where we need to be. To take us from where we are to where we need to be. Everyone needs to be converted if they are to enter the kingdom of God. Even the most outwardly religious life must be converted. The most polite and sincere must be converted. The most generous must be converted. Most respected in their community must be converted. And being baptized doesn't convert you. Being a member of a church doesn't convert you. Being a pastor doesn't convert you. It is only the grace of God in Jesus Christ that is the only way anyone can be converted. This week I was reading a story to the kids. You know those little messages I sent out in the week. And it was about Charles Spurgeon and how he was converted when he was 15 years old. He was in this little Methodist church and the pastor was preaching from Isaiah 45 verse 22 which says, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And his message was simple. He said, it's not lifting your foot or your finger, it's just look. It's look to God. Man doesn't have to go to college to learn how to look. You might be the biggest fool, but you can look. Jesus Christ says, look to me. If you're not sure that you're converted, maybe God is calling you right now. Maybe God is calling you to look and live. And if you are converted, if God has called you by His grace, and He has revealed the crucified, risen Jesus to you, and you have put your faith and trust completely in Him, and what He has done, then let us worship Him and make Him known to the nations. That is our purpose. That is why we are here. Because we have come to know the power of His grace. The power of His grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for... The way you are so patient, so perfect in having this wonderful plan, even before the foundations of the earth, that you set people apart. Lord, that even with our wicked background, at the right time, you call us to yourself and you reveal your son Jesus to us. The crucified Jesus who is hanging on the cross, dying for our sins. Every one of those sins, past, present, future. He is dying for it. Who goes into the grave and on the third day rises from the dead. And by faith in Jesus we are justified because of what He did. 
not because of what we do. You are a loving, merciful God that finds pleasure in saving sinners. This should cause us to worship. This should cause us to make this message known to the ends of the earth. And Father, it is truly my prayer that there's anyone here today that is not converted. Lord, that this would be their day. This is the moment where they have heard about Jesus Christ coming to die, to live, to save a sinner like them. Call them by your grace. Reveal your son to them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.